All right, we're looking at Ecclesiastes 5 in our series together. We're, and most the, the book is built around this paradox of man, the nature, the predicament of mankind. Pascal said it in so many different ways. Here's one way that I'm particularly fond of. He says, man is just a reed. He's just a reed. And the universe need not expend or stress to kill all of us. But man separates himself from all of creation in that he's a thinking reed. And he knows and contemplates his death. Man is but a reed. It doesn't take much to kill all of us. I think we all are pretty aware of that. We're just a germ away, but we're a thinking reed. We know when we contemplate our death. It, uh, the nature of mankind is, is, is in between earth and heaven, right? We're reed, but we're thinking reed. We have our feet in clay and our head in heaven. And that's our lot, is to stay in that place. The nature of man is in between those two. Uh, man is dirt. I mean, if, uh, in Hebrew, the word for dirt is, if it were in English, it'd be A-D-A-M-A-H, Adama. That's why Adam is named Adam. His name is, his name is dirt. And God breathed into his nostrils, gave him spirit, and that's why he is made in the image of God. But I mean, here's what it looks like in the garden. Adam walks up and says, hello, Yahweh. And Yahweh says, hello, dirt. Because that's what we are. We're in this strange place. And our temptations, mind you, our temptations is to go where we do not belong. Sometimes we want to go down and become earthy like animals and just be pampered and pacified and lazy and be taken care of. And then other times we want to climb and become something we were not meant to be and define what is right and real. We want to live with this illusion of power and control. And here's the one, independence. I don't need anyone, even God. That's the, that's the teasing that, that we're, and temptations that we're called to. But our lot is to live somewhere between apes and angels. Now today what we're gonna look at in Ecclesiastes ch uh, chapter five is how wealth causes us to be tempted in one of those directions. Wealth teases us to go up or to go down and we have to understand its power. But today, look, just here's what I want you to picture today in our story of Solomon. Just pretend like Solomon has been transported to our current time. And now he is at this exclusive hotel in their ballroom where they're having this graduation ceremony. And he's there every Saturday night during graduation season just to see if there's anyone there wanting to learn a little wisdom. And this graduation ceremony is from an elite school and it's the elite students and they're just dancing around, couldn't be any happier. Every one of them has a little envelope in their, in their vest pocket that it's from some great prominent firm and they have with great offers of all the wealth they're gonna have. They're just singing along with Pink Floyd. Come on, boy, come on in, have a cigar. You're gonna go far. You're gonna fly high, you're never gonna die. Everybody's singing along, we're gonna fly high. We're never going to die. And then one of the phenoms, 19-year-old MBA graduate, he looks over in the corner and he sees Solomon tucked away in the corner right there by the grand piano. He brought his own scotch and he's just sitting and watching. 
And so the 19-year-old goes over there and says, you are Solomon. You're the wisest, richest, and the most powerful man. What are you doing here? He says, I'm just here to give advice to anyone who's taking it. He goes, I, I, like, I, I'm a learner. That's how I got into this room. I'm good at learning. And he said, well, you want to be rich? And the boy said, well, yes, of course. That's, that's why I've worked so hard. Here's your first bit of advice. Why? Why do you want to be wealthy? Why? What difference does it make? Because that can't feed your soul. Wealth cannot feed your soul. Here, let me give you some advice. It's an old Italian saying, memorize this and you'll go far, young man. Here's what he says. Money is a good servant, but a bad master. Money is a good servant, but a bad master. Money has a way of like, I don't know, pulling you into the dirt. You're going to live like an animal because you can afford to, or sometimes even worse, it's going to pull you upward and you're going to like thrive and get drunk on the power or the idea that you have control or influence or independence or safety, whatever it might be, but you're going to think you can make your own rules. And here's the thing, it'll kill you. It's addictive. Money is a good servant, but it's a terrible master. He says, Solomon says, I'll give you five principles of wealth. And if we have time, I'll tell you two things about God that are true. It'll help you out. Now, Solomon, he's the wisest, most powerful, and the richest person in the ancient Near East. And if nothing, he's just observant. You don't have to be smart. You just have to kind of be old. These things are so obvious to people that have lived long. And that's the nature of this book, by the way. It's an old guy telling young guys, you don't have to do it the hard way. You could just, like, listen. But, you know, I don't know. Well, let's see. Here's his first of his five principles. He says this. He says this. The more we have, the more we're going to want. The more we have, the more we're going to want. And chapter 5, verse 10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. It doesn't make sense. It's meaningless. Hey, look, I'm, I'm going to make this obvious. He says it two times. I think I put it, yes, in all caps. It doesn't say money, whoever has money. He says whoever loves money. That's the problem, loves money. Like in the New Testament, most misquoted verse in the New Testament, I think, the love, or, uh, money is the root of all evil. No, it's, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And money makes a terrible lover. The more you give, the more you love it, the less you're satisfied with it. And so he's talking about the love of money or the love of wealth. And I just want, I want you to hear it. You're going to hear it at the beginning and at the end. Wealth and money, it's okay. It's, I have lived on Hamburger Helper for a long time without the hamburger. I drove salvaged cars on, on used tires for decade, for over a decade. Okay, I ate so many Sam's burritos. I'm either going to live forever or die eminently. It, that's bad stuff. I've been rich and I've been poor. Poor's not as fun, I'll tell you that. But what he's saying here is, is the love of money. That is the lead to all kinds of problems. And, and why? Why do you love the money? Why do you love the money? That's how you solve the problem that you will have with money, is why do you love it? 
I mean, it, because here's the thing, it takes you to places you're not supposed to go in the context of your lot as a human. It can take you to places of power and to status, the illusion of safety, uh, independence, I just want to be left alone. It can take you to pleasure and laziness, I just want to be a cat where people care for me and let me sleep a lot. I want that. And here's the thing, you're always going to want more because those things don't satisfy the soul. You're in love with things that are, are temporal, not eternal. And so that's, is it, is it no wonder like John D. Rockefeller, America's first billionaire, when they, somebody interviewed him and said, well, how much is enough? And he said, I just need a little bit more. Of course he does. And Solomon says, look, take it from me, take it from me. I mean, I, I, I didn't start off that way, but I ended that way because it's an addiction. It makes you want more if it doesn't know its place. Do you know the number one cause of divorce and marriages? Money problems. Okay, secular and church, you know, surveys and stuff, they come up with the exact same data. People, the, the word is materialism. Couples that are materialistic, that want to buy and buy and need stuff, are the ones under the most stress because they put themselves in financial places that put them in a category of 40% higher rate of divorce because of their financial choices. Contentment, contentment will save a marriage. You want to just like apply, we have five little principles that are true. The first application to do diagnostic work on do you love money? Do you love wealth? Here's, here's a way of knowing what's your debt ratio? What's your debt ratio? Especially credit card debt. I mean, the nature of debt, I mean, almost the definition of debt is I want that thing. I love that thing. I can't afford that thing. I'm going to buy that thing anyway. That's the nature of debt. I'm just going to buy it anyway. I can't, I shouldn't have it, but I'm going to have it. And that ought to tell you something. And it should tell you something. It means that you are already, you've already gone on the entrance ramp. You're on this highway to destruction. And I would suggest you turn around as soon as you, as you possibly can, because the more you have, the more you're going to want. That doesn't end until you get this under control. How do you get it under control? Uh, one is two words, Dave Ramsey. <laughs> Just go to DaveRamsey.com. I'm sure it's DaveRamsey.com. Go on there. He'll teach you how to get out of debt. If you don't want to do it that way, just email the church and say, I want to get my finances under control. And we'll figure out. We have multiple people that help uh, our other congregation members just learn how to balance their budget. Some of those life skills that sometimes you're not taught. Learn how to balance your budget. Learn how to live within your means. Learn how to not be enslaved by wealth. Because here's the thing. This is true. Let's read it out loud together. Wealth is a good servant. All right, everyone. Wealth is a good servant, but a bad master. The more you have, the more you're going to want. The more you have, the more you're going to need to spend to keep it, <laughs> okay, the more you're going to need to spend. The next sentence, verse 11 says, all good, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except uh, they feast their eyes upon them? <laughs> you know what he's saying here? It, like the more you have, the more stuff you have, the more people it's going to take to keep them, to keep the whole thing working. When you start off in some kind of business or, or career, you know, you just like, you do what you gotta do. And it, life is somewhat simple, right? 
And then let's just say you continue to gain wealth and, and you income and those sorts of things. And she's like, next thing you know, I, I'm going to need an accountant. My taxes are getting pretty complicated here. Well, and then I'm going to need a lawyer because people want my stuff. And then I'm going to, I don't know, need a wealth manager to keep it all straight. I need a, a yard guy now. I used to be the yard guy. And now I need a pool guy. I didn't even have a pool before. But he's, what he's saying here is, is look what it, what it takes as you grow wealthy. It, it takes more to run the place. That's just the legitimate people, he says. See, it says, and to those who consume them, those are legitimate consumers of your wealth. What about, you know, when people find out you have money and suddenly they're your friends? And how about that long lost relative? And next thing you know, you've got this entourage of people. And what Solomon is saying here, he's looking at this guy and says, listen, grasshopper, before you start living your life for wealth, you might want to consider this truth. The more you have, the more you're going to want. But also the more you have, the more you make, you might not have as much to show for it because of all the people consuming it. This is true. Say it with me. Wealth is a good servant, but it's a bad master. Now there's a crowd starting to form around this piano and he's starting to tell some more little truths. The guy says, hey, that's two. I want a third one. You said you promised me five. He goes, fine. The more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more it takes to keep it running. And the more you have, the more you're going to worry. The more you have, the more you're going to worry. Look at verse 12. Next sentence. The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether, you eat, whether, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. <laughs> he goes, Wealth is not the cure for insomnia. Wealth is the cause of insomnia. Number one cause of sleep deprivation in America today is worry. Worry about what? Worry about wealth. And so Solomon just kind of, if you just join the story with me, he's just, he says, look, guys, let me just tell you a story. Just this week, haven't slept all week long. I'm building this house. I own one of the, I one of the, own one of the Virgin Islands, okay? And so I was down there and I was on the deck and I was watching some new security stuff go in because I had to keep everything safe. And I'm watching, you know, the new cameras being put in and the, and the guy welding the fence. I'm getting a bigger and a stronger fence. And I'm watching him yeah, weld his fence. He's there right when the sun comes up. He works all the way to noon as hard as he can. And it's so hot down there. And he has his son by his side the whole time. And they're laughing and enjoying. He's teaching them a new trade. They break for lunch. All they eat is a bologna sandwich. It's kind of soggy. They're laughing and yucking it up there. They keep going till three. They share an apple together. They get off when the sun goes down. I'm watching them all the way into the little hut by the, by the ocean there. And their wife, his wife greets him at the door. They go out to the end of the dock. They split a bowl of popcorn. That's it. He comes inside. He's asleep before he even hits the pillow. Solomon's saying, man, I envy that guy's sweet sleep. Because I was up all night and all those camera lights were flashing, security. And then I was thinking, I wonder if all those welds took. I, bet, I better go down there and make sure the welds are good on my safety fence. Can I, can I trust my safety guard working that front gate? I don't know. I don't like the way he's looking at me. I don't know. Point is, he's the one that's doing all the worrying. And he's the one with all the money. And he, it's like Henry Ford, in the height of running his entire empire of Ford production, right? He said this, I wish I was, I was happier when I was a mechanic because I wasn't worrying about stuff. 
When I was growing up, we never locked the front door to our house. We're back. We didn't lock any doors. And it wasn't until I didn't know that was different until I started dating Melinda. And she said, why don't you guys ever lock your doors? And so I said, let's ask dad. Dad, why don't we ever lock the doors? And he said, what are they going to steal? <laughs> That's, yeah. Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. Yeah, because they're worrying. Money, money and wealth, it can't feed your soul. It doesn't have the potential, but it does have the potential to bring you sorrow because of the fighting and the lawsuits and all the joy that goes with that. It has the potential of giving you sickness because of ulcers and worrying. It has all the potential to bring you anger and resentment. Wait till the neighbor finds out how much you're worth or a coworker. It has that potential because this is true. Wealth is a good servant but is a bad master. That's what Solomon's trying to tell us. So he goes on with this thing. The more you want, the more you have, the more you want, the more you have, the more it takes to keep the thing running, the more you have, the more worrying that's gonna be involved. And then finally he says, the more you have, not finally, but four, he says, the more you have, the more you're gonna hoard it. The more you have, you're gonna hoard it. <laughs> that seems contradictory, but this is what he says. He says, I have seen a grievous evil. He's gonna talk about two things. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its own owners or wealth that's lost though through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for the children to inherit. Pink Floyd sarcastically writes a song called Money, okay? And it, and it sings about hoarding. He says, money, it's a gas. He means it's a drug. Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make it stash. Look, I'm all right, Jack. You just keep your, you know, keep your hands off of my stack. What happens when a person gathers more and more wealth? They start like hoarding it. And what he's saying here, the grievous evil, is the person that's hurt by the hoarding is the hoarder. This is the truth. You, you show what you love by doing, by, by, by what you do with what you have. You show what you love by doing towards that thing, right? With what you have. If you're hoarding, it means you love money. That's the thing you're loving. That's what you're using your resources to do is just make it worse. And so Solomon, look, Solomon's saying, look, he's got this bigger audience that says, look, if it happened to me and it did happen to Solomon, he's saying, if it happened to me, it can happen to you. When I started out, I, like, I had wealth wrapped around my finger. I was the boss of wealth. I told it what to do. I told it when to do it. And then somehow, somewhere along the line, I'm just holding its hand and maybe we're just equals by, by the end of my life. I was wrapped around its finger. It was telling me what to do. So wipe that smug look. He's three drinks in at this point. He's getting a little edgy. He goes, wipe the smug off your face. When I'm drunk, when I'm hungover, I'm smarter than your best day after your best exam. And this is what happened to me. I'm telling you, it goes like this. Addictions, addictions are not these stair steps down. It's a, just this gradual slope. It's almost, you know, it's almost, un, you know, un, you can't even distinguish the stepping down. And then next he says, like, here's what happened to me. I started up there, I entered down here, and I woke up one morning going, it's my precious, it's my precious, hoarding it. I couldn't stop hoarding it. The other thing that grieves him is, is he says that is, is that these people that hoard, not only is it a misfortune to them, but they lose it like that. The kids get nothing. 
All it takes is like a dramatic stock change or some kind of fraud or here's what happens most of the time. Okay, how much you have, you want more? One more deal. Let's make, let's just put down, let's just put it down one more time. All bets down, hands off the table. Let's go. We just need, you know, this time, this time we're going to have enough. Let's bet it all. And they lose it all. That's the nature of wealth. It is addictive and it'll destroy you like all addictions. Wealth is a good servant. It's a bad master. Let's say that together. Wealth is a good servant. It is a bad master. Okay, that's four. You promised us five. And he said, fine. You want five? Here's five. All of you, look at you in the prime of your life. You'll be dead and forgotten soon. You say, what? Yeah, it's, you'll be dead and it won't matter. It won't matter if you're rich or poor. They're loving this lesson, right? Look at 15, I think at 16, it says, everyone, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and everyone comes so they, de- as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry with them in their hands. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry with them in their hands. You ever seen a hearse pulled, pulling a U-Haul? No, no, no. You ever seen a guy in a casket with his arms full of stuff? No, that's what he's saying. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. So what's, what do they gain since they toil their whole lives in the wind? You know, the dress code for death, it's naked. There's a baby screaming right there. She's naked they come, naked they go. Alexander the Great was naked when he died. So was his horse, right? Uh, Alexander or, or Caesar and his slaves. The way you come is the way you go. I can't remember the exact amount. How much did, how much did Steve Jobs leave behind when he died? Anyone? All of it. Yeah, left all of it, went naked, everything. That's the problem. Wealth is a good servant, it's a terrible master. It's a good servant, it's a bad master. And so Solomon is officially killed this party. The band has gone home. There's a few people still standing around and then he gets up to leave and says, okay, I'm done here. And the the kid, the 19 year old, the phenom, the smartest one in the group, he says, whoa, you promised us two insights in the nature of God. You got to get us out of here. You got to give us a prescription. You gave us five things about, that are true about wealth. Give us two things that are true about God because I need something to get satisfaction and significance and security because I can't have it in everything I've been living for and hoping for. And he goes, okay, fine. Look, I'm going to say this if you have time. I'm going to tell you four times in two verses. Four times in two verses, I'm going to say the same thing. So get this. He says this. Happiness comes as a gift from Yahweh. Happiness comes and it's just a gift from Yahweh. It comes in two forms. One, know this, God gives work as a gift. God gives work as a gift. Look what he says in verse 18. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in the toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them for this is their lot. He's saying, look, work, the toil of work, the toil of work, that's a gift, thank you very much. Understand this about work. 
It was part of God's gift before the fall of mankind. It will happen after in our transition in heaven. We will work there too. The word for work in Hebrew is so close to the word for worship that some scholars believe it's the same word. It has to do with vowel markings that were added later. It, might, it is the same word. Work is worship, worship is work. Our lot as humans is to work. So Solomon is saying here, look, find the work that you would love to do is an expression of how God made you. Find a place to express that gift and then enjoy, enjoy. Let that joy be worship. You get to wake up in the morning, thank God for like so far everything's still working. You go to that place and you say, I'm doing this for you. You thank God for your health, for your ability to do that job and a place to do it. That's a gift from God. Second gift, he says, here's the other thing, is, is God says uh, wealth is a gift from God. This is further evidence that it's not about wealth, okay? It's about making it a love affair. So he says here, he's gonna give four gifts, four expressions of gifts in chapter five, verses 19 and 20. Um, moreover, when God gives someone one, wealth, two, possessions, three, the ability to enjoy them, four, the acceptance of the lot, and be happy with their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with the gladness of their heart. They don't have time to be moping around and considering the fact that they're just a reed, but a thinking reed. They just enjoy life. Why? Because God's given them the pleasure. God gives them wealth. That's a gift. He gave them possessions. He gave them the, the ability to enjoy those possessions. He gave them the ability to accept their lot. This is how God made me. I'm fine with that. Now I'm going to just enjoy it. So in summary, the, the two points are God gives us work. God gives us the ability to enjoy wealth, enjoying work, plus enjoying wealth, happiness. That's where it's found. That's an expression of the generosity of God. Let your wealth serve God in worship. Let your wealth that you got by working serve God in worship. How do you know how do you know if, if, if the buzz, if the whole big idea here is, is that wealth is a great servant and a terrible master? How do you know if wealth is a servant or a master? A couple little, there's a thermometer to help you know Wow. The first one, as we already talked about, is your level of indebtedness. That'll tell you for sure how, or most likely. And then the other one is, on the other extreme, is generosity. Your generosity is an expression of you being the master of wealth and wealth not being the master of you. Generosity is proof that money is a slave to you. I, lo I love, uh, I, I don't know, I've just got attitude issues in my soul. It's like mostly anger. Uh, but here, like, and, I, and I, I try to channel it in the right way. So like when I give stuff away, when I give money away, I, I say like, you know what? Get out of my house. Get out of my soul. I own you money, you don't own me. You think you can take over my world and my soul? No. See, I'm going to throw you away. I'm going to give you away. I just want to, I, I guess in prison, it's just, you know, establishing dominance. Maybe that's my days in jail. Maybe that's what happened to me. But those two times. But each time I had to establish dominance. And so this is just like, you know what? Money doesn't own me. I own money. Watch this. I'm going to give it away. That's how you prove it. And so when I talk about generosity, just for, just it's so weird today. I don't mean talking about generosity. 
That's a thing to do today. I don't mean me telling you, you need to be generous. That's not generosity. Generosity is when you take your stuff and you give it away. And here's the thing. I mean, the studies have shown this over and over again. It doesn't matter how much your income level is. If you're waiting to make more, that day will never happen because what you get, you're gonna want more. Here's what happens, they've shown this over and over again. Somebody making $20,000, if they can't give away two, when they make $200,000, they can't give away 20,000. Because they just, they, they get in more debt, they have more, it, money, they loved money before, they just love it more now. They're working their way through the four, five steps. So now's a great time, whatever your level is. And here's what's strange about generosity, very strange about, maybe even unique about generosity. It is not only a diagnostic tool, am I a slave to money? It's also a cure. It's also a cure to being enslaved by money. In other words, how do you, if you are enslaved by money, how do you get out and you give it away? John D. Rockefeller, I've talked about him earlier. He was America's first billionaire. He nearly died when he was 53 years old. He nearly died of malnutrition because his stomach was so upset because he's working his way. The more he had, the more he wanted, the more he had, the more people that had to run it, the more he had, the more he worried, the more he worried, the more he hoarded. And he was, he was just like compulsively worried about his great wealth and all he could eat, all he could digest is milk and, and saltine crackers. And so he was going to die from malnutrition and he brought counselors in, seculars the day is long, and they just said, give it away. Start giving your wealth away. And when, when John Rockefeller started giving his wealth away, the burden was lifted and he enjoyed life until he was, I think, 98 years old. What would have been great is if he had had a Christian worldview, they would probably said, pay your employees more. Because one of the reasons he made so much money was he kept his employees in poverty. Kind of a different subject, but it was a way of being generous. It was a way of giving away. And so now you see all these Rockefeller centers and it's based on his survival. He did it for his cure. How do you become content? How do you, how do you have a, a sense of stability in all of this? He says it in this book and Jesus says it in a sentence. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other stuff, stuff, all the other stuff that'll be added. This is the, this is this sentence that I'm talking of, speaking of this verse. It is the punchline of several paragraphs, a long sermon about worrying that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of his sermon on worrying, he says, just seek first the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and the peace you have with God through that. Just seek first the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life, having the ability to change you literally from the inside out. Could you just seek first the glory of the Father ruling all of creation and all these other things will be added unto you. See, first things first, do that. Solomon's saying, know this, this is true. This is your lot. The way you're designed, the way you were made before the fall of man, you were, you, were, you were built to love the Lord your God first and foremost with your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You were, you were designed to love your neighbor as yourself. That's how it works. That's our lot. That's what you do. You do that, you will enjoy life. I like the simple life. It's a great song. My dad sang it. He never knew the song, I don't know, but he taught all of us, the children, the song. One of the things I love that I inherited from my father was the simple life. 
And I, I especially like it because he had to earn it. My father came from great wealth, old New England wealth. Like every meal was, the, the, the men had to wear dinner jackets, linen tablecloths, china, crystal, every dinner, all the time. Uh, when they were growing, growing up, they, they, they would summer in their house on Block Island. They did it when they were children, all the way to adults. They went to, all six of them went to exclusive preparatory schools. The one my father and his brothers went to, 80, almost 60% of the student body went to Yale. Mm, Yale isn't a Catholic school, so they all went to Georgetown. Think of how much that must have cost. Four boys in Georgetown, not including three other African-American uh, young men that my grandfather helped get through school, and he was on the board of directors. My uncles and my dads helped start the Georgetown hockey team. They were in Collier's Magazine and were written up even in, in the LA Times. They were a big deal. Somewhere around 20 to 21 years old, my dad thought, I want to be happy, not necessarily wealthy. And so, he wanted to fly jets, and so he joined the Air Force, and he did that for 20 years. He lived a simple life. We went on simple vacations. He married a woman that goes along with the song. Life could be thrilling with one who is willing to be a pilot's wife. He didn't leave us very much money. He left us enough for me to trade in my 16-year-old Acura for an eight-year-old convertible. But what, he, what we inherited from my father was the idea that we didn't have to have money to be happy. We could just enjoy what we had. And what I found out later, I connected the dots that no wonder, in one of the pivotal conversations I've had in my life, when I went to my parents around 20 to 21, and I told them I was going to go to seminary instead of law school. And I'd been talking about it since sixth grade, going to law school. And my mom wept bitterly, got up and had to leave the meeting. She was so afraid for me. My dad looked at me. And I think when I said, I need to go to seminary, he heard me say, I need to fly jets. And he knew happiness was not contingent on my income. And so he told me that day, if you don't go to seminary, you'll be looking back over your shoulder for the rest of your life. So just go. You can be content. And so, you know, when I'm driving years later, when I'm driving salvaged cars on used tires, eating entirely too many Sam's burritos, it didn't hurt. Because at that time, money wasn't a master. It was a slave. And today, every time I make the roof go back. I thank my dad. I love that little convertible because it's a gift from my dad, contentment. Solomon's telling us this, the purpose of man is to know God and enjoy him forever, to know God by enjoying him forever, to understand our lot, to stay away from the addiction of wealth. Wealth is salt water, you guys. It will not quench your thirst. It will only make you more thirsty and then kill you. The answer, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things. They'll be added. And you won't care. Let me pray Paul's prayer for us, if you'll join me.
This is out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's the word of God. It's God's prayer for us. Listen to what he says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And everyone said, amen. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, then we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich, they fall into all kinds of temptations and traps and into foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Lord, these are warnings in the older and the newer Testament, and the message hasn't changed. Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would speak to ours and tell us the truth. Do we love money? Do we worship wealth? Are we the master of this? Lord, I'd ask that you would not only convict us if that is the case, but help us in change. Give us the courage to pick up the phone and ask for help to do what's necessary to get out of debt, if that's the case, or learn how to be generous, if that's the case. But Lord, I'd ask that we could celebrate the gift of work and toil, the gift of wealth and, and money, and that we would use those as worship. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.